Hey there, Fellowship family. You are listening to a channel created for the church in Winchester and beyond purpose to encourage and inspire and equip you to love God and love others more and more. I'm Mark Francis, your host for the day. And with me at the round table today, we once again have John Morrison, pastor of Biblical Counseling, and his wife, Diane Morrison. Hey, guys. Hey. How you doing? Good. Excellent. Good to be back with you. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad to be here. This is my first time, so excited to be a part of this process. And uh, just by the way, remember that there is a video version of this podcast on YouTube that uh, you can find and subscribe to, and an audio version that can be found wherever you listen to the podcast. And um, and these segments are being released weekly on Friday mornings, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. get a chance to anticipate them coming up and uh, listen or watch however you choose. But just um, I just want to say last week, you guys briefly chatted about um, sexuality and gender mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you can remind us of what that was like, but I'm also curious of first just to hear your story. You know, you guys have been married for how long? Been married for 38 years. 38 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you can harken back to... Makes us sound old. Well, <laughs> hey, you know... Only because we are. Experienced and wise, right? Yeah. 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 You know, but maybe you can just share how you guys met how you came to know each other and what that process looked like. So let me go to you on that. Well, we met through mutual friends who had um, grown up in the same town and been in the same Bible study. And my roommate, we were at different college universities, and my roommate said, you need to meet this guy, John Morrison. And so I actually have a picture of the first time I ever spoke to John over the phone. Um. And then we met later and became friends for about four years, three and a half years before we ever started dating. Hmm. So it was kind of a friendship that grew into a marriage, neat. which was a nice foundation for a marriage. Yeah, and it was neat because uh, this group of people, um, a little town outside Houston that had a Bible church, which I had never heard of before, uh, but uh, when I was at the University of Texas, I got involved in a Bible study with guys from I was Catholic, and there was another guy who was Catholic. There was a Lutheran. There were four Baptists and uh, a bunch of just you know, background, a couple of Presbyterians, you know, various people. And we just studied the Bible together, and it was through that Bible study that I came to know Christ. And then Diane, three years later at another college, um, met somebody from that same Bible study who ended up helping her get involved in really doing uh, disciplined, purposeful Bible study. Hmm. So both of us ended up getting a lot of spiritual growth from this group, but then also becoming friends and eventually becoming married. So, huh. yeah, so that's probably a neat process neat. of being friends for yep. a couple of years. Yeah, and, and actually, I guess I asked Diane out on our first date, but it was kind of a non-date. My date broke a, a date with me, and I was tripling <laughs> with two other couples who are good friends. And I didn't know anybody else in Austin. I was in seminary at the time, and I was there for the weekend. And so I called Diane. She's like the only person I knew. I said, hey, I just had a date break. Do you think you can go with me? Well, let me see. Um, yeah, I think I can. Okay. And I have a date. I need to break that date because yours sounds like a better offer. <laughs> oh, right. I actually didn't even know that she had a date. She didn't tell me then until later. I actually had to break a date to do this. But So that was the first one. Then I went back to school, and we didn't go out again for another six or eight, seven, eight months. Oh. And then she called me in August and said, hey, I've got tickets to the George Benson concert. I seem to remember you saying you liked it. I love George Benson. I had met him and had worked backstage with him. And and so, yeah, so I flew down to Austin and 
we dated for the next year. So it was kind of a. You can't bang the table. Oh, I can't bang the table. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Lots of noise so anyway, to distract people. So it was kind of a it was kind of a, a neat long distance hey, relationship. Well, you guys are definitely um, have some experience under your belt to speak to this topic. A little bit excited about to hear what you might have to say, mm-hmm. but give us just a quick summary um, okay. of what last week was like, and uh, for those that missed it. Well, like? we last time we kind of just did an overview of. Um, sexuality and gender, just broadly. Uh, For example, we talked about the fact that sexuality is a biological term, male or female. Mm -hmm. Gender more has to do with behavior patterns or customs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a little bit of the difference between gender and and sex. Um, One of the things we pointed out was that gender as a word didn't actually get used to describe um, what men typically do or what women typically do until about 1950. Up until then, it was just a grammatical term. Hmm. Um, I, I've studied uh, a number of foreign languages, two of which, uh, Latin and uh, Spanish, uh, both um, had feminine endings and masculine endings. Right. Those, those are called gender. Yep, sure. uh, but then in about 1950, it switched to where people more than talking grammatically, they started talking about what men typically do, what women typically do. And so whenever we're talking about this topic, that's really um, hmm. what, we're, what we're talking about. And um, I think, too, this whole series, this whole focus on, uh, on sexuality and gender is also a, a focus on identity. Yeah. We haven't talked about that word very much. We'll talk about it more as the next few months go on. But the, but the idea of identity and its connection with gender and sexuality that we sort of alluded to last time is that, um, and and we didn't say this specific thing, but this is what we were kind of pointing at. A person gets their identity from what they know about themselves and their world and the place in it. They, They get their identity. So for example, if a person knows there's a God who spoke the world into existence, if a person knows that there is a uh, that that people are at enmity with God because of their sin, meaning I do wrong things, I think wrong things, I have wrong attitudes that separate me from a holy God, and yet He is so gracious that He paid for my sins for me, so that we could be made right. Now, if I know all of that, and then I hear, by the way, God gives most of His commands to all of us. Mm-hmm. Most of his commands are not male commands or female commands. Most of his commands are to everybody. But there are just a few commands that are to men specifically and a few commands that are specifically to women. And some of them aren't even in command form. Some of them are, they're more like a picture painted where when you see that picture being painted multiple times throughout the Bible, you go, huh, he's got something here. Mm -hmm. And, And so really when we look at this idea of gender, we always ought to, and one of the things we talked about last time is, we always ought to remember that uh, the commands and purposes of God for all of us in common are far greater than the differences he ascribes to us. He does ascribe some differences, and that's actually what we're talking about today and next right. time. Right. But, but specifically, it's good for all of us to remember God doesn't start out by saying, let's now talk about all the differences between men and women. Right. It's actually just the opposite of that. Right. Uh, he really says, let's all talk about the things that are in common 
oh, by the way, here are some specific things that you guys will want to do if you're to fulfill my purpose. That's a great point to make because I think the world and, and our culture is so caught up in, in their identity or caught up in their gender so much. But what Bible's saying is that it's more common. Yes. Like what, what as a whole are we being called mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. and not necessarily specifically male and female? Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. today, let it, let's talk a little bit about this kind of unique elements of God's kind of gender design for women. Okay. So specifically, women and Diane, you are a woman. Yes. Do you identify as a woman? <laughs> and yes. Yes. And, and you're married to a man, John. So, you know, we, let's talk specifically about um, kind of what God did design for you as a woman. So kind of what in your in your words, what do you think that means? What What is God's design for a woman? Well, I think that the greatest picture in Scripture is Christ in the church. So that when I think of myself as a woman, he describes it in terms of relationship, many times in terms of relationship to your husband or your children, um, because that's primarily the way we subdue the earth and fill it, Hmm. is in those relationships. And he draws a parallel between Christ and the church, uh, that Christ leads the church and the church is like the bride of Christ. So um, right away, it, it shows me that it's not a, I don't have to look at it in a negative way, because mm-hmm. that's an awesome yeah. parallel, you yep. know. And also, there's, there's ideas, I would say, words like nurture, helper, um, respect, giving respect to your husband in that context. Um, Paul talks in... And First Thessalonians too about being gentle among them, like a nursing mother. And he, the way he describes, he describes how he was gentle among them. And so I think that's kind of a these these little nuggets in Scripture kind of give us an idea of what spirituality looks like in a, a feminine form, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. So you're hitting a little bit of highlights. You mentioned nurture. You mentioned a few Bible passages. Kind of, are there some specific elements that we can hone in on, or that we can talk about, and people can kind of think over on their own? What are these unique elements to women that are directed there in the Bible um, that we can look at, study, talk about, discuss? Kind of, maybe give some highlights of that. So, I think you always have to start with the creation mandate mm-hmm. because um, those first four words in the beginning, God, is what changes everything. There are many people who maybe don't believe in the beginning God, and so the way they live out their sexuality is not governed by what God says. Mm. But because we as believers believe in the beginning God created, um, then our quest is to find out what, how did he create us. Mm. And, and, of course, the beginnings of that is in Genesis 1 and 2. And what we find is that man alone was kind of missing something, unlike right. the rest of creation, which right. was very good. Right. And um, so he, God created, it says in Genesis 2, a, a helper suitable or compatible with him. And so there is a um, equal but different. Um, Eve wasn't created out of the ground like Adam was. He, she was created from a rib of the man mm-hmm. there's something different mm-hmm. right off we can say wow this is really different so um 
when we live out our identity of who Christ makes us, there's something very different about the, the female version versus the male version. And of course, because the big mandate, John and I were talking about this, and you might want to elaborate, is to subdue the earth and fill it. Then, of course, the, um, the marriage and the relationship between those two and what that looks like and how they work together mm-hmm. is primary in Scripture. So mm-hmm. many of the mandates towards women do have to do with her relationship to her husband and her children. Mm-hmm. And as a helper, um, um, it talks about in um, Proverbs, we have the picture of a woman who um, is a keeper of her home, very competent, mm-hmm. so competent that she has extra time and energy to become an international trader or businesswoman. And um, her husband's proud of her. Her children rise up and call her blessed. So obviously it's not the kind of woman who kind of walks away from the home so that she can go do her outside stuff. She manages a wide range of things. So I think there it gives us a picture that this doesn't have to be a constraining thing. Yeah, I, I think that's the first knee-jerk reaction that people see when they read certain passages about women is that they feel that it's either constraining or that it's oppressive. But uh-huh. it's almost freeing in a way that you're partnered with somebody who mm-hmm. can walk alongside of you in a relationship, like you mentioned, in marriage, and that you have these kind of scriptural passages to look at and say, okay, here's how God has called me to live out either Mm -hmm. my gender or my sexuality in that way with the man. So what other roles are there? What other kind of specific elements that are um, unique to women? Um, Well, um, I think about in Ephesians where it talks about submitting to your husband Mm -hmm. and respecting him. Mm -hmm. I think that we as women in a marriage relationship have a particular ministry that we have with our husbands not with all men in general but with our husbands in particular that I don't think they can subdue the earth without us Mm. you know we're we're an important piece and um, so that's the other aspect so why do I'm curious of kind of your opinion on this why do you think God would give women a role of helping her husband that there is this kind of partnership, you know, it, if, if a woman is, um, has a personality to be a good leader, you know, and so therefore, you know, why couldn't she be the one that could lead the home, you know, where maybe the male would just rather kind of sit back and watch from afar and let the woman do that thing. But Bible scripturally says that it's going to be the, the male's role to lead and the, the woman to be the helper. How, how do you reconcile that? Well, we see that in the created order. And um, where's the scripture? It talks about how when Adam sinned, that's when their eyes were opened. When Eve ate the fruit, their eyes weren't open. But when Adam ate, their eyes were open. He was given the original command not to eat of the tree. And so I I do think uh, there are some, just the order of creation and how God did it really shows that that there was this relationship he had with Adam first. And he's like, huh, I think that we need a little help here. And so I think that all of us really want to be independent. That's the nature of our sin mm-hmm. is none of us want to be dependent on God. Mm. 
none of us want to submit to in the beginning God created. Mm. And um, that what that looks like in a, in a woman, we have to come to terms with that because what we're, who we're really submitting to is the Lord, mm. not to a man. And um, I mean, it does happen to be in the context of our marriages, but... Well, I think it also, that also to me, um, makes me even think about the Trinity. We have a triune God, and uh, the Scripture teaches that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal members of the Trinity. They're, uh, the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Father. And it's interesting that Jesus says in John's Gospel multiple times, I only do those things the Father shows me. I only say the things he tells me. In other words, Jesus, though he was fully God, he submitted himself to the purpose of the Father. And the Holy Spirit comes and never points to himself. Whenever there is an error of doctrine among Christians, I shouldn't say whenever, but frequently when there's an error of doctrine among Christians, it will show up in the Holy Spirit pointing to himself. Because the Holy Spirit points to Jesus, and Jesus reveals the Father. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to me that the Bible even parallels in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, it tells us that, um, that the man is the head of the woman in the same way that God the Father is the head over Christ. And... That's not saying every man over every woman. It's specifically talking about the woman to whom he's married. And so what we have there is a picture of in your marriage, uh, Diane is actually a better natural leader than I am. Um, I uh, Diane is brighter than I am. She, Diane is, she's more competent in so many things I can't even count. And I'm not meaning to yeah. embarrass her. It's just yeah. people who know us know it's true. And Diane's just a really capable person. Um, and I know I remember when I was getting ready to get married, I was kind of scared at the thought mm. of how do I be a real leader? I mean, um, my dad had been a really good man, but he was not a leader in the home. He was quiet. He was reserved. He was withdrawn. He was very professional and competent in his field, but he was largely silent. And, and so our mother was really the one who was the dominating person in the household. She really ran the show. I mean, if my dad put his foot down, you would know it. Yeah. But it wasn't because there was a steady, intentional leadership. And that's not to complain about my dad. I loved him, and, and he was a dear man. But, but there was an absence of that type of headship. And yet it's interesting when God tells us the things he does about headship. He doesn't say, by the way, John, you're a more capable leader than Diane. Therefore, she needs you to lead. Mm -hmm. What he, All he says is, you're a man. I've called the man to be the head in the same way that the father is the head over Christ. And I'm not telling you that you're going to necessarily do a great job of it. I'm going to tell you, are you going to be faithful at it? Mm -hmm. And, and this is important to me, and, and it may be something we talk about. It'll, we'll talk about it for sure next week, I know. But one of the things about that that makes it hard is because we're a sinner, if God tells us to be the head, we as men, and again, we'll talk about it more next time, we as men have a tendency to fall either by being lazy. In other words, we're not going to exercise leadership, usually because we're afraid of failing. Mm -hmm. 
We're just trying to cover ourselves, CYA. Right. Um, or we end up trying to dominate, mm-hmm. which is not leadership. Right. It, that's, that's so. It's interesting that you guys are kind of revealing that. So, Diane, you're probably a more natural leader than John. However, God has called the man to be the leader and the woman to come alongside. So it almost calls both of you to depend on Christ in those roles of calling you to be a more biblical model of a marriage instead of what your natural tendency might be. I'm going to give you an example because this just happened on the way here. John hasn't heard this. So um, I'm getting ready to leave town in a few hours. And there's just, you know, when you're managing a household, there's just a lot of things. Somebody came to fix something at our house. And, you know, right when I'm getting ready. Well, John, in the in the last 45 minutes before I came, John called three times uh, to either ask for me to bring something or, you know, remind me, make sure I wasn't going to be late because I think uh, he knows that I'd rather run the other way than do this. Uh-huh. And um, anyway, my what I was fighting against, even after looking at all this material and thinking through it and praying is, does he not know I have so much to do? Like, can he just help me? My tendency is to want John to be my helper. Mm. And even as I was thinking that and struggling with the Lord in my head, I, it was like he said, huh, isn't funny how you want the helper. Mm. And um, I have to repent of that over and over again because the Lord's my helper and he's given me a role in my marriage and in my home. And it involves service. Mm-hmm. And just like John's role involves service too, it has a different facet to it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, we made a joke last week with Ashton that I said, no more marriage conferences because they always start out, well, men are this way, men are this way. I'm done. I'm going to get up and walk out if they do that again. But so my challenge is to take a deep breath sometimes and choose to step back. And I see it as that's what Jesus must have had to do. Not mm-hmm. that I'm Jesus and omnipotent mm-hmm. and know everything, but he was he had strength under control and in submission to what the Father wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. And so he's my model when sometimes when you're an administrator, things are just real clear, real fast. Yeah. And sometimes I have to wait. Because John will probably come around to that conclusion. He does it with a lot more words and looking at all the facets. And there's times that that's an awesome thing mm-hmm. that I just, you know, make the bottom line decision. Mm-hmm. So the Lord has had to work on my personality in that way and just say, yeah. there's value to this, Diane, because you are learning to submit to me. You're learning to wait on me, to rest in me. And I, I also think that. The sin of the world, we were talking about this too, when it hurts you and damages you, it damages this identity that is either male or female. And so for me and my background and some of the experiences I had growing up, um, my response had slowly over time in my childhood was, no one will ever do that to me again. Mm. And as I was walking with the Lord in college one day, and not only no one will ever do this again to me, but I will beat them at their game. So those are two driving forces in my life that 
my junior year in college, the Lord smacked me upside the head and showed me that those... Oh, mention, mention <laughs> to Mark your, your song, your theme song uh, at that well, time. Well, at that time, Linda Ronstadt had a song, and it was called um, I Never Will Marry. And the, the refrain went, I never will marry, I'll be no man's wife. I expect to live single for the rest of my life. That was my theme song. And awesome. I was a math and science 4.0 <laughs> at University of Texas. And I knew where I was going, yeah. what I was going to do, you know. Yeah. And um, one day the Lord, just the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, what's driving you is a vow. And you've put yourself in my place. Mm. That you've said, I will never. And you know what? That's not your place to say. Yeah. So put your fist down. And I remember repenting. And then it was as if all motivation left me because it was such a driving force in my life. And I think that, you know, over time, then he's he's worked in a lot of those areas. But I think that as women, many times are um, the sin of the world and how we hook onto that with our own sin affects our femininity in many ways. I think one place I saw some of this live out or work out in Diane. Um, and you and I have talked about some aspects of this. I'm not sure I'll say it necessarily in the way you would think about it. I don't know. But I remember that when Diane and I started getting serious and every once in a while we would talk about in the future someday, you know, we didn't really talk much about if we got married. For I just felt like it was better to not go there until that's really what seemed like it was happening. And I... Thankfully, we'd had this friendship, and now we had a romance, but I, I didn't want to go there. Um, but somehow, kids would come up, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember Diane saying, and then after we got engaged, saying it more, I just don't know what I would be like as a mother. Because when she is talking about kind of firming her resolve and saying, I'll never go through this, I'll never do this, mm-hmm. Diane was not exactly a nurturer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diane was a get-her-done girl. And... Um, so she was not a cheerleader. She was not a nurturer. I remember when I was pregnant, praying and saying, oh, Lord, will I like babies as much as I like puppies? <laughs> I don't know if I will. But it was really neat because yeah. what, I, what I witnessed with you was, and I don't know the order of this. You would have to be the one. But in this area that is uniquely women, you mentioned this earlier when he asked the question about what are some of the elements of the feminine gender per se, and you you mentioned nurture. And I and I'm thinking at that time I was the more nurturing person in our mm-hmm. marriage. And I remember you feeling like I don't know that I'll be able to really nurture a child. And so what I observed, or at least how I interpreted what I saw was number one, the Bible told you that there were certain things a, a woman does. Not every woman, but in general, this is the overall command to women starting from Genesis 1, and it involves having children. Number two, you knew that you needed to trust God to be able to do those things that didn't come naturally, kind of like 2 Corinthians 12, where the Apostle Paul says, in my weaknesses, your strength made more evident. So you mm-hmm. knew that. And then number three, you got to see some older women, specifically two of our friends, Claudia and Sue Ellen, who were master nurturers. And they came alongside you and nurtured you. Mm-hmm. 
And when I watched what transpired over the next first year of our first out of four children and out of our grandchildren, you became a nurturer. You didn't change your overall personality. You were still a get-her-done engineer girl, but you really cared like a nurt exactly like the Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians 2. So it's kind of neat to me that Mark was saying each one of us had to grow into our the aspects of our gender that reflected our sex that might not have come that naturally. And I think there's truth in that. I feel like I've done it very imperfectly, but I think that same thing happened to me with leadership in the home. But, and especially with somebody who comes up with decisions much faster and is way more confident of herself than I am. But I think you really did enter that. And as you're leaving today to go take care of two of our grandchildren, I've watched you with them. You're, you're an amazing mom and grandma. My best Christmas present was my granddaughter looked at me and said, she calls me Grammy, when I grow up, I want to be a Grammy. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, I said, yeah. you know what? That's the best job ever. <laughs> so it's a good aspiration. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> was, so. yeah. Well, you, you mentioned a couple of things I just want to just highlight. You said sometimes when you see yourself attempting to take over, you take a deep breath. And I'm interpreting that to say that's your time to then yeah. look to God mm-hmm. instead of yourself. Right. And and I'm excited that you're giving some of these stories because you're actually answering one of the questions that I wanted to ask was when when did you really understand the biblical role of the woman and what how God designed it? And then when did you really start acting out? It sounds like it was almost before you got married when you kind of realized know, the, things. The but Lord is so good to happen? unfold things when you're ready. Yeah. And in your journey with him, he knew there were certain things I wasn't ready for. And he mm-hmm. gave me time, I think. And I remember um, when I had young children feeling like, I'm very broken. There's something wrong with me because I have to think about hugging my children. I have to, it doesn't come naturally. Mm-hmm. There's some really broken parts of me. And grieving over that, because I do believe that is part of femininity and being a mom and mm-hmm. what that entails. Mm-hmm. And um, mistakenly, I believed that if the person who had the primary role of my damage, of you know allowing the damage or perpetrating or whatever, would apologize, then somehow I would be healed. And so I actually, the pain of it gave me the courage to go to that person and say, you know, you've never said you were sorry about X, Y, Z. And they looked at me and they said, oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry. And I remember standing there kind of like, okay, I just put my guts out there and you did not understand any anything about it. And then also then the second thought is the Lord showing me, this is a lie you believed. Mm. You're healing and broke. Your healing and brokenness has nothing to do with what someone else does. It has to do with the work that you and I do. And um, so healing and my broken parts of femininity came slowly and gradually. Motherhood does a tremendous part. But I think the other part that developed in me was a heart for children in general. And I know there's people who don't have children who can't have children. There's single people who will never have children, and yet I think the joy of hanging out with other people's kids mm. has become a huge joy for me. I love, I tutor kids in math, and um, I just had a bunch of them shoveling my 
driveway yesterday and they just make me laugh and to go out and try to think <laughs> okay how can i encourage these elementary kids who are shoveling my right. driveway right now yeah. how can i speak into their lives and and we talked about the bad words and some of the songs they listen to mm. and why would people put those words in that song you know and i just think that some of that is a unique part that i have that the lord has rebuilt and he put women in my life to kind of fill in the empty spaces that mm. were there. Mm. So he is a great restorer and yeah. he, it's a journey, you know, it doesn't happen all at once, but I guess I just remember, and I don't know how many women are out there that feel that way. It's, you know, it's just something's wrong with me. That's part of the sanctification process yeah. and growing spiritually yeah. and recognizing where God is calling us to grow as a, as a person, but then as a woman. And you also just touched on something that makes me realize there's probably people listening and watching who aren't married, who might not have kids mm -hmm. and aren't connected in that kind of relationship. So how would you transition or translate these biblical roles and, and God's design for women for people who aren't married yet and don't have that? You know, I've not I've not had to like need that into my own life, but I have some awesome friends that I watch and I think, and some of you probably know this couple, there's a couple I know that are childless, and they are a crucial part of our nursery ministry. They show up, they're back there holding babies, they know what's going on, and I, I was thinking the other day how they are so faithful back there. They don't have kids that get sick on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I'm really thankful for someone like that. I'm not saying your ministry has to be a nursery ministry, but they've chosen in their childless, childlessness to invest and give a gift to other people who are raising children. Hmm. Um, I have a single friend who I, I'm ever amazed at the multifacetedness of her life. She travels with women. She was just telling me, oh, about once a week I go to a friend's house whose husband is gone for periods of time. Mm. And I cook dinner with her and hang out with her and her mm. kids uh, one night a week. And she's in Bible study. You know, she's she's always building into the life of other people mm -hmm. and a very mm. feminine way in a, that has to do with caring and um, other-centeredness. And I just really appreciate the friends I have who are like that. Mm. You know, this doesn't have to play out in a marriage. It does. Right. Right. And that's the main examples we see in Scripture. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. I think part of the dilemma about the question and why every person sort of has to answer that for themselves is that God has chosen in the realm of the great percentage of commands, instructions, examples, he does it sort of gender-free like I was talking about earlier. Um, one, of the, one of the ways that I, I can't remember if I said it last week, but it's really interesting. In at least four, there are only four or five passages in the New Testament that give specific gender instructions. And in at least four of them that I know, there are an average of about 10 or 15 commands that are for everybody immediately prior or immediately after the, the one or two comments it makes about men or one or about women. 
And so to me, it's the, the thing that we all start out with is the fact that God's given us a whole life to live with him, regardless of male or female, married or single, child or not child. So that's the core of the matter. And then in the living out of our maleness or femaleness, it so happens that when, I don't know, I have never done a, an, an entire study of this throughout the whole Bible to find out if it's every time, but essentially every time I'm aware of that gender comes up in the Bible uh, as an instruction, it comes up in the context of marriage and, and parenting mm-hmm. or grandparenting. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that what that means is that since the creation mandate was fill the was uh, fill the earth, subdue the earth, which is a word having to do, I think we said last week, with um, making control over unruly aspects of creation. That's which is massively disordered. Bring it to rule, mm-hmm. and then it says and rule over, and that's a different word. It's more of a word of walking around and leading something while being one of them. Mm-hmm. It's more. It's less. Uh, uh, where the first one, yeah, the first one's more authoritarian. It's more get it in line, and the other is more participating. Well, when you when you um, when you look at this whole issue of of um, people who are not married or people who don't have kids, the the to me, what I would think that I would want to do is I'd want to say, okay, God doesn't give me a lot as a woman or as a man, about what I'm supposed to do when I'm not married, not kids, because that's part of the creation mandate. Let me exercise the gifts I've got. Let me recognize that according to 1 Corinthians 7, I actually have more freedom to serve him in a variety of ways. And then let me um, also realize that because the creation mandate and because of the the Great Commission, I'm always to be looking at the next generation I'm always to be looking at what I give for the sake of the life of another, like the mm-hmm. example of Diane's friend. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think that, yes, I think most of us, if we were single or don't have kids, we have to kind of figure it out for ourselves because there's not a lot of instruction. By the other, by the, On the other hand, there are enough principles that we can probably extrapolate and say, well, I've got the freedom to do this and and I need to do this. So. And I got to go back to the one of our very first points, which is probably the more important one, is that most of God's mandates and how he's designed us is together, not mm-hmm. necessarily specific male or female, mm-hmm. but it's just as a human in general. And mm-hmm. that's what we can rely on. And mm-hmm. just knowing that this conversation is very specific mm-hmm. and in only a few passages of the Bible that are really highlighting male and female. Mm-hmm. And, and so it also makes me think of, you know, so what if I'm listening and I'm a woman and I'm not really fulfilling any of these, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not being nurturing, you know, I'm, I don't have a husband or maybe not doing well with that. Uh, I'm not submitting like I probably should. What's a good starting point? This can be for either of you. What's a good mm-hmm. starting point to, mm-hmm. to, to get on the right track to, to live out a biblical perspective of that? I always find the best starting point is to be really honest with God because he knows what's going on in your heart anyway. And, you know, to say, I don't, think I'm doing what you've called me to do. What is it, Lord? Show me. Mm-hmm. And he will answer that prayer. He loves that kind of a prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that you to examine yourself and see if he's already shown you something mm-hmm. that you really don't want to do. Because mm-hmm. sometimes he's quiet after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he shows you something and you're like, ah, oh, no, I don't think so. 
he's like, well, we're not going to go on the next step then until yeah. you get this right. one. <laughs> right. We'll do a few pop quizzes and some trials and we'll see what happens on mm -hmm. that. So those were, those are two places that I usually start. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I think probably piggybacking on that, um, I've had a, a way of thinking about problems that don't have an easy answer for a long time. And in some ways it goes back to a time when I was 10 years old and uh, I was sailing with a friend of mine and our little sailboat, we normally sailed within a yacht basin. Uh, and sometimes we went outside the yacht basin, which was a smaller area of water into a little bit larger area of water. And we would go out in that area that was where sometimes you'd run across bigger boats and, and you could go further. But then there was another area outside the breakwater where you go out into Corpus Christi Bay and uh, that was adjoining the Gulf of Mexico. And I had never bothered to do that by the age of 10. I mean, who needs to? It's out there for adults, you know. But my buddy was a real risk taker and he goes, why not? He'd never been on a boat, never been on a sailboat. And he said, what's out there? And I said, well, the bay, of course. And he said, so why don't we go out there? And I remember going, well, I wasn't going to back down from that. But I was kind of like, good grief. Nobody ever told me about what happened. So we sailed and we sailed on for about five, six miles. And we actually sailed to where we could beach the boat and where our homes were about a half a mile away. And we walked up and got sandwiches or something. We showed up and whichever one of our houses we went to, our mother said, you know, what are you doing here? I thought you were out sailing. Well, we are. We sailed over here. And anyway, so we get back in the boat after all that. We go sailing back. We have five or six miles to go. And we're almost a mile offshore, and all of a sudden, a fog came in. I'd never been sailing when there was fog, and I didn't notice the signs of the fog. It's mm -hmm. literally, I can see clearly one minute, and the next minute, I can't even see the bow of the boat. Mm -hmm. And my friend looks at me, the only time I've ever seen him scared, and uh, he said, what do we do now? <laughs> and I remember thinking... I didn't sign. This is why I don't go out here. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know this was possible. You, but me, you brought me out here. You brought me out here. Yeah. What do you mean? What do yeah. we do? Well, the only thought that went in my mind was right as the fog was dropping, as it hit our heads and was on its way down to the water, I looked down and I noticed the waves were running exactly perpendicular to shore, which they don't always. Sometimes they're moving the other direction. Sometimes they move along the coast. At this point, I noticed they were 90 degrees to the, to the shore. So he said, what do we do? And I said... I guess we follow the waves. So I could see over the gunwale of the boat, just the side and see where the waves were. And so I'm pointing the boat along the waves. We sail that way for 10 or 12 minutes and all of a sudden, boom, we hit something hard. And he looks at me and says, what is it? I don't know. And we get out and we pull the boat up and fortunately we're on a beach. <laughs> and fortunately we find a house and we call one of our parents and say, can you come get us <laughs> and bring peanut butter and jelly, you know, or something, whatever. But I remember that picture uh, ever since as I've grown over the last 54 years since then and realized God, God doesn't show us where he wants us to end up. He, he, he points us in a direction and says, respond to the light that's already given. Mm -hmm. And let me guide and direct beyond that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what faith looks like in action. So in this case, where there's a man or a woman who doesn't feel like they're living it out, and they do what, what Diane is saying, they are honest before the Lord and they lay it open, they also say, let me look at the scriptures and find out if God has pointed where the waves are going. Mm -hmm. Because if he has, that at least gives me some 
some tracks to run on. Yep. I don't know where the tracks are going for sure. I don't know how it'll work itself out, but at least I have some tracks. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Well, as we kind of wrap up our time here, give me just a quick summary. I mean, we've been chatting for a while now, but especially this unique design for women, what, what's our takeaway? I think our takeaway is that God created us male and female, and he says that over and over in Genesis. Um, and it's something that we should see as an adventure of how that plays out with him. And that it's not, and I mentioned this last time, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Mm -hmm. That we don't have to be afraid that we're going to be trapped in some uh, terrible role that is going to hinder us. Because the truth is in Christ we have freedom and that we find freedom in obedience to him which is opposite than what we think naturally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I say reach out for his life, you know, his, his direction in life and his prescriptions, even though they seem wrong. We were, we were talking not wrong, but opposite of what we would choose naturally. Right. We were meeting with a couple this week that are going on the mission field, and we we're kind of asking, how are you going to explain this in the culture you're going to, you know, uh, the whole leave and cleave thing and our discussion in our discussion we kind of came away with the more any of us follow Christ we become countercultural hmm. because God's ways are not man's ways and our culture is man's ways yep. and so there's and somehow it's supposed to be attractive he God hmm. says so following him may seem like not the freest way, but it always is hmm. as we yeah. follow him. That's great. Hmm. That is good. Any thoughts on your end? Uh, two. Um, and I didn't have until Diane said that, but um, one thought has to do with women who in an effort to live out this submitted role, this following the leadership role, have been injured in the process. Hmm have been dominated by harsh behavior and right. attitude on the part of a man. I'll try to hit more of that next week. Right, good. Because I believe that it relates specifically to something the Bible predicts. God predicts it right when sin comes into the world. It's one of the first comments God makes about what will happen with the man and the woman because of sin will be that there will be a natural built-in tendency that men are going to have to learn how to deal with which is their tendency to, the Hebrew word is masal, mm -hmm. their wives, which means to have harsh dominion. Right. And so I think that we need to be able to address that because when this topic is brought up, invariably that question comes up. So I kind of want to answer it by saying, I want to say, let's talk about it next time in the context of men, but realize that the fact that that's a problem doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. You don't throw out what the Bible says God's intentions are just because of some of the problems with it. You learn to respond to that. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is, I love the example of Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. And when talking about female gender, one of the things I notice in that is this is a woman who who uh, 
has a business making textiles. She's a woman who sells things on the open water. I mean, it's it's transnational, um, international trade. She's involved in real estate. She um, she has people who serve her, who who help take care of the things that she's responsible to oversee in such a way that she can be able to do those things. But what's interesting is, in spite of how strong she is, it says she smiles at the future. Mm-hmm. It says that she's not afraid of the future, which I think is cool. To me, it's the, it's the picture of somebody who's strong and courageous and moving forward. It's something I see in Diane. But even in the context of this bright, capable, hardworking, diligent, creative woman, the first verse or two and the last verse or two, talk about her in connection with her husband and her children. It says in the first verse, she does her husband good and not ill all the days of her life, and her worth is beyond that of rubies. And at the end, it says her children shall praise her. Her husband also praises her in the gates, mm-hmm. saying, Many women have done nobly, but you exceed them all. And charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears God, she will be, I can't remember the, the verb that is, is attached to her in the last verse. To me, it's a picture of amazing freedom for a woman to be and to do many things, but if she is married, if she is given children, she has a first duty. It's just how God intended it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean other people who don't do that are not Christians. It doesn't mean they don't honor God. It doesn't mean they don't have plan. I'm just saying it's what God says sort of unapologetically. So mm-hmm. I like the picture in Proverbs 31 because it says, here's a competent, strong, capable woman, but what she has done is submitted herself to God and said, what can I do? And he'll say, I want you to be a helper to your husband. Mm-hmm. I want you to be a light to your children. And I'm going to give you freedom in the world and in your home because you take the first job and do it well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I'm hearing is realizing what scripture says and live it out in a life of trust and yeah. dependence. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and if you do that, then things are going to fall into God's mission where he called us to be. I think that's safe. Yeah. So I'm excited about what next week is going to look like where we get a chance to talk about the unique design and and role of the man. And uh, until then, I thank you for listening and being part of the podcast. And just remember that if you want to interact with us in any way, you can submit your questions online. Go to fbcva.life where the podcasts are. And also resources are at fellowshipathome.org. Um, slash identity where all the links will be in the show notes and the podcast there so until next time we thank you